In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. All right, welcome back to the Bravo Docket. So this is the third part in our three-part series covering Teresa and Joe. This is going to be the final one. And do you want to reorient everyone on what happened in parts one and two? Yeah. So part one, we talked about Teresa and Joe's origin story. We even went as far back to talk about how they met when Teresa was 14. We talked about how they ended up on the show. We talked about some interesting legal issues that they had before they even got on the show. And then we talked about how they filed for bankruptcy. And also I read some excerpts from Teresa's book talking about like when she was approached by the Real Housewives producers. Then in part two, we talked about more details about the bankruptcy. We talked about how the mistakes they made in their bankruptcy led to the federal indictment, and we explained the charges there. And then we got all the way up in the timeline to the part where they were actually indicted. We explained how that worked and what the charges were. And then now we are going to get to the actual sentencing and the jail time, and then also the divorce and the deportation and more listener questions. (laughs) So much, so much. Yeah, before we dive into that, I thought it would be interesting to talk about how cases end up in federal court. Teresa and Joe's case is in federal court, which is a a big deal. So federal courts can hear criminal, civil, and bankruptcy cases, but not all cases go into federal court. There are three ways that it can end up in federal court. I believe this applies to civil cases. So first is if you violate certain laws and statutes, it becomes automatically federal. I think I mentioned during the um, Tardy for the Party podcast episode that we did how because it was under the Copyright Act, it automatically went into federal court. So there are certain laws like that. Sometimes it's laws that have to do with constitutional rights. 
it's called like a federal question. And that means the federal court can hear it and has jurisdiction over it. The second way is if it's over a certain dollar amount, plus the parties are from different states. And that dollar amount is $75,000. So if someone claims that they were injured in the amount of over $75,000 and the, the parties are from different states, it can end up in federal court. The third way is supplemental. And this means that there is a federal claim made and a state claim made. And because the federal claim was made, the state law claim also gets heard in federal court as part of one case. Yeah. And then for criminal stuff, the that it's it works a bit differently. If you commit a crime that violates state law and federal law, both the state and the feds can charge you. So you could possibly, because you have broken the law of both jurisdictions, but federal courts prosecute federal crimes. So you're not really going to see a federal court also prosecuting you for a state crime. That's not going to be how that would work. But yeah, that's that's actually like the worst case scenario is if you have charges in state and federal court at the same time. Try not to do that. Yeah. So their charges are conspiracy to commit mail fraud, bankruptcy fraud, loan fraud. And then Joe was filing false tax returns all over the place. So this is in federal court in Newark, New Jersey. So on March 4th, 2014, Teresa and Joe enter a guilty plea. And Teresa specifically says in her book that their attorney told them they needed to accept a plea deal as soon as possible. We watched this on the show when they went in for their sentencing. It was very high drama and they were in there. It was like one of the longest sentencing hearings that I've heard of. So wait, can you explain plea deals before you oh, yeah, t- yeah, yeah, get yeah. to the sentence? Okay. So yeah, we've talked like in, in other episodes about plea deals. And I think I've mentioned several times that the feds typically don't bring charges against you unless they are very confident they can prove them. And a plea deal is how most of these cases get worked out. I mean, if you look at the stats for federal uh, criminal courts, it's you know, there just are not that many trials and most of them are resolved via pleas. And so what would happen is either your attorney or one of the U.S. attorneys uh, would start approaching each other about potentially um, entering a plea and the U.S. attorney will write up a plea offer. And that works just kind of like a settlement offer in civil court. So you will get a document uh, from the U.S. attorney that's handed over to your attorney, and then your attorney sits down with you and says, okay, this is what the U.S. attorney is offering to recommend at your sentencing to the judge, and it will go through. And when you get that plea deal, like typically, hopefully for you, it is less than what you would get if you you know, tried the case uh, to a jury and then lost on everything. So like sometimes they'll dismiss some of the charges or sometimes they'll say we'll recommend like a downward departure because of, you know, you've been a confidential informant or you've helped us or you, you know, have already paid restitution or whatever it is that you've tried to work out to get your plea deal. And then you have a here. So you work that out with the U.S. attorney and then you have a hearing date to enter the plea. And that's usually also when like your sentencing is sometimes it's two different hearings. But what the scary thing is, is that the judge doesn't have to agree. The judge typically does, but they do not have to agree to what you've agreed to. And you have to admit to the elements of those crimes. So you have to like a lot of times they'll read it out 
and say, ask you questions and say, do you admit that on this date you committed this overact in furtherance of this conspiracy or blah, blah, blah. And you have to say yes on the record. And then after that's done, the judge will enter your sentence either at that hearing or at a subsequent hearing. And like we said, the judge does not have to agree to what either the prosecutors are asking for and doesn't have to agree to what you've agreed to in the plea deal. But they typically do. I mean, the judges typically respect the prosecutors and the the agreements that have been made because there's typically good reasons for those. So sometimes the prosecutors yeah. ask for more and the judge, you know, doesn't have to. But like, this is actually very relevant because this is what happened at Joe and Teresa's. Yeah. Something about pleas, though, like I was reading up on it and like, I think a lot of people have a hard time. I guess if if you're maintaining your innocence, it's hard to accept a plea deal because you have to say that you're guilty and that you did what they're accusing you of. But the problem is, like, th- there's a huge risk. Like, if, if you ended up going to trial, say you were charged with, like, a bunch of different crimes or, you know, accused of doing a bunch of different things, and you made it all the way to trial, there's the risk that you're going to get hit and found guilty of all those things. So you're kind of, like, negotiating with the trial process and trying to determine what's best for you. And I I know you mentioned that they normally prosecute things knowing or being sure that the crime was actually committed. But there are a lot of people, I think, that maintain their innocence. Or, I, I mean, I've heard of stories, and I'm sure you have too, where someone like did accept a plea deal because they thought it would be the best thing for them, but they were innocent the entire time. And, yeah, you know, it, it's, it's like an interesting process. Also, like, it's Going to trial is also a risk for the prosecutors, too. So they like entering into plea deals because they get to say that it was a a successful prosecution. Right. Like they get still get to mark it as a successful prosecution, even though, you know, it didn't go to trial and there wasn't a, a guilty verdict. Yeah. Well, there's so some, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. And like trials, even if you are as even if you're a prosecutor and you're really sure that you can convict someone of something and you've spent months working a case up, there is always an element of risk at a trial. I mean, there's always, first of all, jurors (laughs) are always a risk. You don't, you know, you've looked at this case and you think that you are sure that this evidence is going to convict someone or win your civil case, but jurors are, may not agree with you and may not have your same mindset and you just don't know. And then also, I mean, witnesses can, if you have a, a key witness and you think they're great, you can put them on the stand and then suddenly they melt down on the stand. We've all had it happen at one point or another if you've been a trial attorney long enough. Um, and so there's just <laughs> a lot that can go wrong with the trial. And trials are, in my opinion, the most fun part of our job, but also the most stressful part of our job. Like it is, right. it is a lot of work. And it's also when it involves a government party, that's a lot of time and expense that people's tax dollars are being used for. So there's all these good reasons for pleas mm-hmm. and why they exist. There's It'll be interesting. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. Like, I do you I don't think Jen Shaw is going to accept a plea deal. No, I don't. But I yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see that play out because like, yeah, assuming she gets the book thrown at her and sentencing, it's like, I wonder what they would have offered her or what they are offering her right now in terms of pleas. I don't think they're going to offer her anything that Okay, so like in, to have it just a little Jinshaw digression, if you or digression, if you look at the other people that have pled guilty in her case, 
first they have to like, you have to like, it's a, okay, this, <laughs> it almost sounds like the government is like a parent, but like the government wants you to like have acknowledged that it's wrong and like what you did is wrong and that show like real genuine remorse and then yeah. also take accountability for your actions that comes up in sentencing and it comes up in plea deals like have you did you help the government did you turn a government witness did you uh show genuine remorse have you demonstrated that your behavior has changed and when they a lot of times like defense attorneys will have sentencing letters written from parents, family members, teachers, anybody in your life, they can say, look, this person just made a mistake. They just got caught up with the wrong people or whatever. And Jen Shaw's... Well, isn't that what uh, Caroline Manzo wrote yes, for her brother? The, yeah. Speaking of Jersey, that's the whole Manzo thing. That's why, like, you know, Caroline Manzo wrote that saying, oh, no, this is a... this He is, you know, absolutely imperative that he's stays out of jail because he works at our business and we need him for that. And he's a family man and he's a good person. And I've never known him to be violent. Meanwhile, like he's accused of beating up her <laughs> sister. <laughs> so it's like, right. not great. Um, but yeah, that's why those, that's why those documents get written. But when I have just, it is like Jen Shaw literally having her tagline be, the only thing I'm guilty of is being Shaw amazing. How like for her to accept a plea deal and then say, oh, yeah, I'm guilty. I did these things and like try to claim genuine remorse and act like she's changed when she's literally on TV, essentially mocking the federal prosecutors. That's uh, I can't imagine them offering her a plea deal like that she would be willing to accept because yeah. it's, it's like, yeah. yeah, I guess we'll get some benchmark or if. If they offer her something, we'll get some benchmark looking at Stu because they're kind of at the same level in terms of like the government's culpability list. Yeah, but. I'm sure Stu is working out. Stu Chains is working out. I mean, he's he turned government's witness pretty quick. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> right. He can at least say, oh, I immediately realized that that this is not a good thing to yeah. be doing and I feel bad about it. Yeah. And he didn't have a tagline. So. And he didn't. Yeah. And he's not on it. <laughs> he didn't have a tagline right. on the show. <laughs> so they enter their guilty plea on March 4th, 2014. And then they, I just want to point out like, so that's March 4th, 2014. Then June 18th, 2014, Joe's dad passes away while he's building a rabbit coop. So they have all this other stuff going on. And then it, Joe actually found his dad passed away in his yard, like while he's awaiting sentencing. And then his dad was the one that signed for his bond. So not only did he have his dad pass away while he and his wife are, have both pled guilty to these major federal charges, then because Joe's dad was the one that signed his bond papers, he had to like actually file more paperwork with the court and get that reworked out. So that's just like extra stressful. Yeah. And then I think I thought it was also interesting to kind of compare just before we get to the sentencing, Teresa's behavior while she's pled guilty to like an actual federal crime and then kind of Erica's behavior. Like Teresa on the show just kind of didn't want to talk about it, you know, and she'd acknowledge it was going on, but she'd say everything was fine. And but she certainly didn't. It's, it's just completely different behavior, in my opinion. Like, mm -hmm. like her scenes yeah. were like with her family and. It was just, it's just a different, it's just a completely different way of behaving. Yeah. Ugh. 
Erica is also like just an odd duck. I don't think it gets said enough. Like she's freaking weird. Like <laughs> no, she's not acting like a normal human. No. Uh, and I, I just she's so weird. <sighs> I don't know. It, do- I don't it know. doesn't make I'm sense. I'm excited for the reunion, though. Yeah, I do want to see what she says and how everyone's saying that she answers everything. And it'll all make sense, but we'll see. Well, we have a four-part reunion, so we'll see. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, yeah, Andy Cohen was on Jim- Jimmy Fallon and said, I think it was like last night or the night before, I don't know, like saying that there's a four-part Beverly Hills reunion. I didn't know that. That's long. That's a, they're really milking it. They're really milking it. But you know we're going to watch it all every uh, minute. Every, every so minute. It's working. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's working. Okay. So then, so all of this stuff is happening, all of these stressful things. And I mean, one thing I admire about Teresa is she did stay incredibly strong for her family. She never acted like she felt sorry for herself. She never broke down in front of her kids. Just completely, uh, she was very much like a rock. For her family, which is really impressive. And while she's being filmed for TV, um, which I do think that is something that is admirable about her. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then October 2nd, 2014, that's the day of the sentencing. The sentencing started at 10 a.m. Joe went first. Joe is sentenced to 41 months on four counts and 12 months on another count, which he will serve concurrently. So, like, he gets to serve those at the same time. And then two years on probation. Then they are jointly liable for $414,000 in restitution to Wells Fargo Bank, Wells Fargo Bank. And then Joe also had 10K in fines. Um, Now, when it was Teresa's turn to get sentenced, she says in her book that she began by reading a letter to the judge about how much she loved her children. And then in her book, Teresa says the judge listened quietly and said, I thought about giving you probation But my gut, and this is a quote from the sentencing, quote, my gut says Teresa Dudice deserves to be in jail for a period of time. I have hope and I have faith that you have learned your lesson, end quote. So I think we've all heard like the rumors that they messed something up and what they messed up was (laughs) so, so silly. It like... So, so they had to fill out their like pre-sentence and probation forms. And on those forms, they had to lay out every single one of their assets. They had to lay out their <laughs> like possessions, the same exact stuff that they, this is like the fifth time yeah. that they, they can't figure out how much stuff they own. <laughs> like what in the world? The same exact stuff that, they had to do in bankruptcy court that the bankruptcy trustee told them to do several times. And then it's nah. they deserve to, they, they deserve their jail time. This is, it's so frustrating. It's just like, <sighs> okay. They, I mean, come on. They, yeah. So they, they <laughs> like, like, and it was like things like they, they failed to list like $25,000 worth of home furnishings. They failed to list ATVs. They failed. I mean, they just could not, there's just and there's just no excuse for it. Like if you have not learned your lesson by now that when you are signing a, a document and turning it into a federal agency, like and swearing that it's true, that it needs to actually be true. Like, Ugh, I would never trust them with filling out forms no. ever again. Like no. they got issues when it comes to filling out forms. That's it's just ridiculous. 
And this is sentencing. Yeah. Come on. Show up at your sentencing with your stuff filled out. And I mean, anyway, so the judge at the sentencing said they were still missing items totaling $75,000. And when you owe the government over $400,000 in restitution, they want to know where all your stuff is. So here's another quote from the judge. She said, on one hand, I see you're a savvy businesswoman. But then you're going to tell me you don't know how to cooperate with probation? Full disclosure of your financial assets was a requirement. The lack of transparency, that's what offends the court. So for them to show up and say, we get it. We made, we're not going to do it again. We've learned our lesson, but then still not fill out these forms correctly. Yes, that would offend the court. And they're not, it makes, it makes what they're, you know, whatever Teresa was trying to say, less believable that she's learned her lesson. I guess it it makes it actually totally unbelievable. (laughs) Right. I can't imagine being their attorney and sitting there and then, because, and just like facepalm. Like, (laughs) it's like, it's like, there's like a famous court transcript where this attorney is like making an argument to try to keep his client on probation. And he's, the, the attorney is like, you know, your honor, I, yes, uh, my client has not gone to any of the required classes and yes, they have not paid any of their fines. And yes, there is this additional murder charge, but otherwise they are <laughs> doing great on probation. <laughs> it's like, Right. It's like sometimes as an attorney, you have to make arguments that it's like you have to make these arguments on behalf of your client, but you can't believe you're standing there having to make these arguments. Right. And you are just like, why are you doing this? Right. Can I talk about the judge really briefly? Yeah. yeah. Because I have friends that have clerked for her, and I just want to point out that she was unfortunately the victim of a really tragic, horrific crime. It it happened a couple years ago where, I don't know if people remember this, I was like glued to the TV watching it because my friend was working for her at the time. And she had like a disgruntled attorney that appeared before her years before come to her house pretending to be a FedEx delivery man. It was an attorney? um, Intending, yeah. Whoa. Intending to kill her and her son unfortunately opened the door no, not unfortunately no one i mean no one should have killed anyone and um her son was killed <gasps> so yeah really tragic she's still on the bench now but i think was pushing i think a law where judges personal information isn't made public in their home address so i guess it's a silver lining to a really horrific horrific thing but she's an amazing judge and I encourage everyone to listen to the interview about that crime. She's just, yeah, just incredible that she's still, you know, pushing forward as a judge. Anyway. Wow. Her name's Esther Salas. Yeah. Had that happened before this? How long ago was that? After. After. Wow. That's. It was like a couple years ago. Not Yeah. That happened to a judge in Texas like a couple years ago. And when I had first moved to Texas and joined the local bar association, I went to like their big, you know, CLE thing that they have. And it was like, they had a whole presentation about it and the judge spoke. Um, and it was, she was trying to get in her car and her son was with her and they actually, the person, and it wasn't a, it wasn't an attorney. It was a criminal defendant that blamed this judge, I believe. And her son got shot 
everybody lived, but yeah. it's just awful. Like it's so scary. Yeah, and like yeah, there, there. No one needs to know their home address. That should not be available. No. Back to so this judge who is a she's a very good judge and very fair from reading all of this. Mm-hmm. So she told their lawyer that there were glaring omissions and inconsistencies in the probation reports. Uh, that the couple had an obligation to be transparent. And I don't think I got that. That's the quote from the judge. So some of the items on the government reports that were left off the probation reports included, like I said before, ATVs, a 1997 Corvette, and then the household furnishings totaling $25,000. So the furnishings I get, like, mm, you forget that you own some furniture, but a car? Come on. (laughs) I mean, I mean, yeah, those are just some of the items, like, you, like, come on, man. So the judge says uh, to Teresa, for a moment, I thought about probation. I don't honestly believe you understand or respect the law. I need to send a message. In the eye of the law, it doesn't matter who you are. There are consequences to pay. End quote. So, yeah, they should have filled out those probation reports accurately. And Teresa could have possibly got because she had no... We've, Sessie's given, like, really good explanations of federal sentencing guidelines, but Teresa had no priors. She had absolutely nothing on her record that would have, you know, indicated that she had any prior criminal history. She had no other issues with this. And her husband had essentially admitted on the record that he was really to blame for a lot of it. Now, like we've said, she messed up herself. But there was a potential for her to at least get maybe house arrest or probation, but because they just could not get their paperwork correct, still, the judge is like, no, you need to go to jail. Like, this is not, I'm sending you to jail. So Teresa went to jail. Crazy. So the judge, who we've said we think is incredibly fair and a great judge, she allowed uh, Teresa to go to jail first and then Joe to stay home with the children. And then for Joe to... Uh, go to jail afterwards. And people have asked us questions about, is that normal? Does that typically happen where a judge will stagger sentences like that? And it has happened before. It's not frequent, but this is this was kind of a rare circumstance where a husband and a wife with four small children were getting charged at the same time and where the government didn't feel that either one of them were a flight risk. There was no violent crimes charged, so they weren't really a risk to society or to their family as far as, I mean, they're not good at paperwork, but they're not, (laughs) and they might do some fraudulent paperwork, but they're not like out there being a danger to society in general. So I have heard of situations where this happens. I've also, you know, even like state judges, I know there are times where they will just let people serve their jail time on the weekends. When I worked as a prosecutor, there was a judge that would do that because it doesn't serve the government um, and the state any to have somebody completely lose their job. If they will can go do their jail time on the weekends and honorably report, sometimes that can be allowed. So yeah, this does happen. Mm-hmm. It's just that this is a circumstance. It, the circumstances have to be right for that to happen. She goes to the Danbury Federal Correction Center, Mm -hmm. um, and the judge let her stay home for Christmas. So she reported, I think it was about two two or three months, she got to be at home, and then she reported to jail, like she turned herself in, which is another thing that you get to do. A lot of times on TV, you see people getting taken away right away in handcuffs to go to jail. But again, because Teresa was not a danger 
to society. I think Daniel Staub might have disagreed at the time, but <laughs> she wasn't generally a danger to society. She had, again, she had no violent crimes on her record. She can, they trusted her to turn herself in. So she goes to the Danbury Federal Correction Center, which I think a lot of people are familiar with now from the Orange, Orange is the New Black. That's where Piper, what's her last name? I don't remember. The, the Orange is the New Black lady that wrote that book. That's the jail that yeah. Teresa was getting sent to. Yeah. I don't know why I took a weird deviation in my research and looked up like private versus public prisons. Ooh, that's a fascinating yeah. topic. Give us some info on that. Yeah. Okay. So I had never looked this up before, but I know I've heard of rumblings about how private prisons are not the best and, you know. They're not. But so private versus public prisons, the way that they vary is how they're run and how they funded, the rehabilitation efforts they offer, the types of inmates they house, and the level of security each require. As the name suggests, private prisons are privately funded and they run for profit, which means there's kind of an incentive to have prisoners there. That also means that they tend to be more occupied than public prisons, um, whereas public prisons are not-for-profit and they're funded by the government. Private prisons have discretions as to which inmates they will accept, so they tend to go for more nonviolent offenders and those without medical conditions because they're cheaper to house. In public prisons, inmates are monitored and directed by state and federal guidelines, whereas private prisons don't have to report how their funding is spent. Public prisons do because it's funded by people's tax dollars. So private prisons can kind of get away with uh, get away with more when it comes to their funds. Most private prisons, for example, have lockup quotas. So they have to take in a certain number of inmates every year. And you have to imagine that in a private prison, they don't want to person to leave. There's a le less incentive to rehabilitate the person and have them leave because they need them there to make money from them. There was a push under the Obama administration to phase out private contracts. However, under the Trump administration, it was reversed in 2017, and that's where we stand today. The states with the highest populations of people incarcerated in private prisons are Montana, New Mexico, Tennessee, Oklahoma, and Hawaii. The average length of time a prisoner served in, in a public prison is less than half of the average prisoner in a private facility. So that's just some facts. I think it would be helpful to put where I found all this information from on our website if you're interested to read more about that. But yeah, Teresa, it was at a, a public prison. So again, funded by the government, not for profit, focused on rehabilitation. I Just to, just to add to what Ceci is saying, I have done some research on privatized prisons and I just, if you can do, I, I they are not good. Um, and yeah. they're not good. And one of the, I mean, people are like, oh, well, people are in prison. They shouldn't be treated well. Well, they still have human rights and that's, you know, they still have human rights, but there's also people don't think about the fact that the prison guards have to be in prison with the prisoners. Like, and they are literally spending time in prison. And the way that a lot of times it's people that are, they put these prisons in places where there aren't a lot of job opportunities. And it is just, it's bad for the whole community. Privatized prisons are just not, they're not good. And it's harder to sue. 
um, because it's they're just bad <laughs> and yeah I mean, they're not good. Uh, so Mm-mm. if you have the opportunity to uh, vote on that issue, I or look into it more so you can make your own decision. We encourage you to do that. I'll put the link. Yeah, we'll put the link on yeah. our website. It's a starting place to start your research, but just something to think about and stay informed about. Wait, can I ask you a yeah, question? Yeah, yeah. How do they choose what prison someone goes to? Oh, so that is, there's a lot of negotiation with that. And it depends on like what federal jurisdiction you're close to. A lot of times you try to get that worked out and you try to have an order written so that you can be at a prison that's close to your family. Hopefully no one listening to this commits federal crimes or gets accused of federal crimes. But if you do and you make a mistake, just try to get the best, most experienced federal criminal defense attorney you can find and get one that understands how to work out your the sentencing and then your jail time because you can make arrangements for hopefully and that can be sometimes part of the plea negotiations that you will get sent to a specific prison and that you can get to one that's closer to your family um, and that you can hopefully arrange that you stay in that one like if, if anybody here watched mob wives great reality TV show. <laughs> that was, I mean, some of the storylines, it's like, oh, we really want him to get in this prison because it's closer and it's blah, blah, blah. Now, sometimes there's other considerations depending on the crime you committed and you can't be mm-hmm. housed in certain areas, but that can yeah. be, if you don't get that worked out, then you just go wherever they put you, which, you know, could be yeah. really far away from your family and really hard for you to like have that visitation time and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. that's, part of it. It seemed like there was like a scoring thing with that as well, similar to like sentencing, where it's like you a number of factors are weighed, like the level of yeah security they need. Right. Like Yeah, if, if you do some real bad violent crimes, you don't really have a lot of negotiating for where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Yeah, but I think where she ended up is like a low security. Yeah, she prison. she has no violence yeah. in her criminal history, so it there's no reason for her to go to for them to put her somewhere where she's with a bunch of other violent inmates. This is from Teresa's book, so she's talking about the night before she takes her, you know, she gets herself turned in for jail. Um, oh, and I was also talking about like picking a good criminal defense attorney that understands the sentencing and jail process. And they did find one. Um, His name's James Mm -hmm. Leonard. And he, Teresa is kind of heartwarming as a lawyer to read this because Teresa's like, finally, I felt like I had a lawyer that was on my side and that understood. And she's, she says that he was the first one to tell her that she was going to be fine in jail and she was going to do okay. And she said, everyone else had been acting like I was walking to death row you know, but she's like, he actually made yeah. me feel like I could do it and I was going to be fine and I was going to come out of this okay. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. All right. So this is the night before Teresa goes to jail. And I thought this is actually really heartbreaking. She goes into all of her like children's rooms and she writes about this in her book. And she says, I, I got off to bed and told each girls, each of the girls to go to her room because I wanted to spend time with each one of them. So she went to Adriana's first and they say a prayer in Italian together. And she's Adriana was like really little at the time. And Teresa says, this sounds weird, but I was worried she would forget about me while I was in there because she was so little. I wanted to make sure Mm. she knew I wasn't abandoning her. And I almost like, I get teary eyed, like reading that because like as a mom of like young children, imagining her, like knowing she's not going to see her baby for like her youngest for a year. Right. And and almost a year. And it's, and it's like, Oh, yeah, that's heartbreaking. I just got a new dog, and I feel like every time I leave, he thinks I'm abandoning him for good. Aww. So I can't even imagine how it is with like a a uh, a child that is that young. Oh, but yeah. So then she says she went she went into Gabriella's room, and she said Gabriella was hysterical, and she just couldn't handle it. And Teresa's like, I had to go. I had no choice. So she got into bed with Gabriella and she was holding her. And she said Gabriella was asking her why she had to leave. And so Adriana thought she had to leave because mommy was going to work and writing a book. And she had told Melania and Gabriella the same thing. At saying, and she told them I was writing about prison and that she had to live there because of that. And then she just says Gabriella is just, so- just sobbing. 
and saying, I don't understand. You go to work all the time, but you always come home. And just Teresa's feelings of like guilt and pain from this are very, I mean, they're very real and understandable. Yeah. Then she gets to Melania and she talks to Melania and says, why I'm away. I you need to be a good girl. And then Melania, she's like suddenly realizing he understands more because Melania is just asking her very like logical questions. And Melania is always the one on the show that's like the real firecracker and <laughs> yelling at the camera crew. But she said she was really, you know, Melania was like, I'm going to take care of everybody. I'm going to be a good girl. And it's, again, just heartbreaking. And she said even Gia broke down and that when she told Gia she needed to be strong for her sisters, that Gia stopped crying and she, like looked at her and knew she had a job to do. And we all have watched Gia grow up on the show and be a very like poised, mature person. And it's just, then she says she goes downstairs and talks to Joe and Joe is just at the kitchen table crying, trying to cope with everything. And it's, it's just imagining her going through, because we all kind of feel like we know this family from watching them for so many years on TV and just watching, thinking about her going through and like telling them, I have, I, I'm going to be gone. I'm going away. Um, and she said, mm-hmm. going to camp. Which that's fair because they call. Yeah, it is. A, <laughs> it's fair because it, it's a prison camp. Yeah. yeah. So her attorney that she finally trusts, um, she calls him Jim. And then Mike, a retired FBI agent, show up and he brought him for protection because there were so many paparazzi that another thing she talks about has because like there everybody like wanted to get images of Teresa, this woman saying like, you know, I don't want to live in somebody else's house. That's gross. People wanted to watch her go to jail. Mm -hmm. They she had to leave early to turn herself in and they were trying to leave in the middle of the night so that there weren't any paparazzi there. And apparently they were still there like waiting outside of the house. So she gets in the car with her attorney and with her, the retired FBI agent or whatever. And they drive to Danbury. Um, and they got there so early. In fact, that they tried to stop at a diner and while she was sitting there, like, just trying to, like, choke down some food, waiting to turn herself into prison, they had to leave there, too, because there were paparazzi that got pictures of her there that they later sold. So, Damn. Yeah. She can't even enjoy her last delicious diner no. meal <laughs> in peace. So she checks into prison, and she has some, like... Things that she talks about, like that shocked her right away. And I was just going to share, I thought they were interesting. So I was just going to share some of these. Yeah. I, I'm really weird. I love prison stories. <laughs> like there's a YouTuber I follow on Instagram or on YouTube who like shares her prison stories and she'll share her like prison meals that she used to make, like cool little recipes where she'd like pound up chips and then like make that the base and like make lasagna out of it somehow. Teresa talks about that. It. She talks about the Oh really? Yeah, well she calls it a chip log like the chip log that they make where they Yeah, yeah she, it's like all mashed up. And... They mash it up and like yeah so you will enjoy mm-hmm. this because <laughs> No oh, great. <laughs> I love it. So she doesn't really talk about like the checking in part, but she she gets there and She talks about saying, like, you know, everybody actually was pretty nice to me. She was really scared. um, But she's like, you know, the the couple of the people there came up to me right away and were helpful and welcoming. So she talks about she's like a tall woman with long dreadlocks and a thick Jamaican accent. She's like her name was Heaven. And she said, we knew you were coming. And Heaven, like, had stuff ready for her. And she's like handed her a long printed list of what she could buy at the commissary um, which is the prison store where you can get things. And then 
which also is another reason why you need to get a defense attorney that understands the jail process because they will know how to put money in advance on your commissary for you and get all of that stuff set up to make your time in prison not as awful. Well, the Danbury Handbook also oh, yeah. explains it. I re- I went and read through that. I know. So I I both looked up. We both Googled it on our own. And we'll put it in case you're interested in the prison handbook. We're gonna, we'll post it on our um, website. It's very, very interesting. It is. I, it's it's like a camp handbook. My favorite part, though, was they said at the end of the handbook, we are hopeful that your transition in FCI Danbury will be smooth. We encourage you to take full advantage of all educational and recreational activities that are available daily. It's like, wow. It, yeah. It seems like they're doing more in their prison daily lives than I do in my normal free life. Okay. Anyway. I'm going <laughs> re- to – here's the thing that I was struck by. Like, I have nannied for five children – um, so I, even though I don't have kids presently, like I understand how much work children are from nannying for five children. And so mm-hmm. <laughs> there's several, there's several parts in here where Teresa is almost like, this is great. Because like, <laughs> <laughs> she's like, they do all your laundry for you and they fold it. And she talks about how when she was in jail, she's like, and then like, you know, yeah, everyone argued over the TV, but like, I got to watch sex in the city. I hadn't seen anything but the Disney Channel on my TV for like years because she has all these small children. Um, so, so she was at camp. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so like heaven was nice to her when she first got there, and she was one of the things she was struck by was she's like, oh, she gave me all of these things, um, and then this other woman, Nikki, shows up and gives her like all of these things because she couldn't get stuff from the commissary for like a couple days because it takes a while for your money to get on the books or whatever. So she talks about how mm-hmm. Nikki gives her uh, Vaseline so she can take her makeup off and then said, just use a maxi pad to remove it. And she's like, use a maxi pad. And Teresa was like, are you serious? And then she's like, oh, yeah, we use maxi pads for everything in here. Like we use them for slippers, shower shoes, shoe cushions, pedicure shoes, soothing iPads, uh, face masks to prevent you from getting sick. Sponge to wash plastic containers. The, the sticky side they use is facial hair remover. So literally, maxi pads are like the do all yeah. in prison. Prisoners are so resourceful. Yeah, yeah. So and then also, what's funny in her book is when she talks about like she compares it to Real Housewives. It's just she says, while I met a lot of great women in prison, it's still full of depressed, frustrated, bitter, and toxic people who like to start trouble <laughs> just for fun. Sound familiar? <laughs> She describes living in prison. She said, living in a prison dorm is like living in an unfinished cement basement. Our rooms were like dark, dreary, cold dungeons, which had very little space. It got so hot in the summer, I thought we were going to suffocate. And then she talks about how it's like super cold in the winter because they wouldn't, even though it's in Connecticut, they wouldn't turn the heat on until like late October. So that's Mm. very cold. The other thing, too, is that she talks about how the prisoners, because she was like a celebrity prisoner, were trying to, like, there was rumors that they were trying to, like, somebody had, like, smuggled them, like, a cell phone with a camera or, like, a digital camera because the everybody wanted pictures of Teresa in her prison uniform. And she talks about how, like, they actually had to lock down the whole jail a couple times and the prisoners got mad at her because they couldn't do things because they were searching for these, like, cameras because apparently some information did get out and you're not obviously not supposed to have that stuff while you're in jail right have you heard of like i'm i'm not on tiktok but the like prison tiktokers i am not on prison like, tiktok 
You got to get on prison TikTok. <laughs> Apparently, there are like people becoming famous on TikTok in prison. I am on almost every other kind of TikTok because of my like, <laughs> you know, ADHD. But I somehow I've somehow managed to not get on prison TikTok. My phone's probably listening to me. I'll probably be on it after like as soon as I pull yeah. it up after this. Send me one if you get one after. I will. Yeah. I will. So she does say the last famous person in there had been singer Lauren Hill in 2013, which I didn't know Lauren Hill hmm. had gone to prison. Me neither. And then it's, oh, it's Piper Kerman. She said Piper Kerman came famous after she left. Um, she does say the inmates who knew Piper said that she was always helpful, funny, and really nice. She talked about how getting approved for visitation takes a few weeks to a month because they have to do background checks on everybody. And then since Joe was a co-defendant, he had limited visiting time. He could only come see her one day a month, which got changed mm. to two days a month later on, even though it's that's still not very much time. I thought it was interesting in the handbook they have, like, uh, what visitors can and can't wear. Oh, like, they have a dress code for visitors. I don't think that I saw weird? that. So, like, what can, like, what's, is it to, like, prevent, like, provocative? Let me look it up. Like. Maybe. Yeah, it was, like, no halter tops, like, stuff like that. Isn't that weird? I mean, I guess that makes sense. Like. Yeah, so no see-through clothing, no shorts, that's, like, in red, short mini skirts and dresses, tight stretch pants, no spandex, no halter tube tops, midriff clothing, you cannot wear tan, khaki, orange, or green. You can't wear white or gray sweatsuits. Oh, because that's what the prisoners you wear. You might get confused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no provocative clothing and no strapless open-toe shoes. So <laughs> you have to buy a new outfit to go visit someone in prison. So Teresa's like... It was laundry day at 7 a.m., so I, I brought a small pile of dirty clothes to the laundry room. I didn't have much at this point, but I wanted as many clean clothes as I could get. Now, this was interesting to me because I used to do all our laundry at home. With four girls and so many different activities and a husband in construction, there was a lot to wash. So I love that they did your laundry for you. She has, like, an <laughs> exclamation point. Like, again, this is a mother of four small children that's like, don't have to take care of any kids. A, work out every day. She says, like... No, yeah. The programs sound great. They actually, I mean... They had music We're classes. We're not recommending jail, crafts. but like, <laughs> no, they had wellness. They had f over fifty fitness, nutrition, yoga classes, IM sports leagues, music programs. I mean, sounds pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> so she kind of gets her schedule down in jail, and she wakes up every morning, goes and like gets her, you know, the early breakfast and then she goes and works out and then she writes in her journal and then she like has her lunch and then she watches, like she does another workout class and then she like watches TV and then she like sends emails to her family. And it's like, you know, it's almost like she's it's getting like nice. a break. from. Yeah. To be clear, like the jail is gross and she didn't like it. And if this was a hundred percent punishment, it was not great, but like, as a mother of four, I think it also was maybe a little bit yeah. camp-like. But it was it was yeah. bad. It was bad. Okay, so then she says, uh, this is a chapter titled Drama Queens Dressed in Greens. And she says, if you thought the women on Real Housewives argued, bickered, and battled, well, that was nothing compared to all the drama I saw and experienced in prison. I mean, when there are more than 200 women that have to eat, sleep, and shower, and get throughout the day in one building together, there are bound to be fireworks. And... She talks about how, like, she gets invited to a party 
like her first week in jail at the prison. prison. Yeah. So so when someone's like leaving, like so someone finishes their sentence, they have like a going away party for them and they play music and like the, like they'll make them special food from the kitchen or whatever. And whoever's leaving will give away like their stuff to their, you know, Mm -hmm. but I guess it was like a big deal that Teresa had only been there for a week and she got invited to a party and some of the other people didn't. It was just amazing. Like how some of the drama was just still so real housewives, like, yeah adjacent to that here's what Teresa says about that she's like i found out later some of the women were mad that i got invited to the party and they didn't really this was high school drama no elementary school drama you're not going to get invited to every single party in there or in real life i was like get over it it's like that sounds like Teresa. (laughs) (laughs) but when it's like they're what they're looking forward to when you don't have a lot to look forward to that's a big deal Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like... Like, what are they going to do? Nothing. Go to the Sulk at the movie theater? No, you can't. Yeah. Like, it makes total sense people would be upset that you don't get invited to a party. And that Teresa did, and it was only her first week there. Okay, here's, like, the food thing, and, like, then I'll stop with the prison stories. So, one of their favorite concoctions was the potato log. And she says they would crush up a bag of potato chips, add water to that in a Tupperware container, and then mix that concoction with onions, peppers, cheese, chicken, sausage, or tuna fish, depending on what we had access to, and then cook it in the microwave. And she says it was actually pretty good, but I'm not sure I'll make that at home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, watch that YouTube channel. It's, I think, like Jessica Kent or something. And she shows how they make that stuff. And it looks really good. I would I would eat it. So she's doing, you know, her workout classes and like getting really fit and the, doing the best she can. And then she's also taking like you have to like take tests and you get report cards while you're there. And she got her first report back and said they checked off my intellectual function, my intellectual functioning and said that I had no intellectual deficits and that I wasn't mentally ill. And she said what a relief. <laughs> I mean, was part of the test filling out an application? Because she probably would have not passed that. Um, she said, they said that I had excellent personal hygiene and sanitation, but that they wanted me to enroll in a finance course designed to teach me how to balance a checkbook. <laughs> so she did get sent to do that. <laughs> she doesn't say if she completed it or not. Like, she doesn't say that. So there's... Teresa's book is, I think it was like $8 on Kindle. I actually thought it was pretty entertaining. I will say their reviews Mm -hmm. said, do not under any circumstances purchase like the audible version of this book because Teresa reads it and apparently it's just terrible. Um, (laughs) But it was, you know, $8. It's an easy read and it was pretty entertaining. So I will give it that book review. Yeah. And there's a bunch more interesting tidbits, but I will let you buy the book if you want to read it. All right, so back to the legal stuff now that we're out of jail. Okay, so Teresa files a $5 million bankruptcy or $5 million lawsuit against her bankruptcy lawyer for failing to meet with her for filing before filing the bankruptcy documents. And like Ceci explained in part two, the bankruptcy is really what set up the federal indictment. Like it, it almost like because when the trustee filed that adversarial complaint in the bankruptcy, saying, hey, they're not disclosing these things. Hey, blah, blah, blah. Like, it really keyed up the federal prosecutors to, like, take a look at this. I would love to hear some feedback from our fans that are bankruptcy lawyers. 
about their thoughts on this, I'm going to post a link to the uh, legal malpractice complaint that was filed on our website. And I think I brought this up in the last episode, but like one of the things that was mentioned was, you know, the bankruptcy attorney, when he turned in the documents, didn't even like mention that they had cars. And so those were left off. And it's like, they live in New Jersey. You have to have a car to get anywhere. Like you're not getting anywhere in New Jersey without a car. Um, and also the fact that like the bankruptcy trustee had given them so many chances to get their documents right. Now, I will say as an attorney, you can't force your clients to give you accurate information. Like you can't like you, right. If we could, we would totally do that, but we have to rely on the information that is given to us. Right. And I, and she signed it. I mean, she did. She signed it. I. Yeah. This is one of those things where some of it actually does look like, couldn't this attorney have done a better job? And I get... Yeah. Like, I think you mentioned, like, that he let Teresa be deposed in the bankruptcy proceedings, even though he already knew the federal charges were coming. Yeah. Like, that yeah. is sketch. It, but... it is. It's, it's, it's kind of like... But you also... It's very difficult for attorneys to judge other attorneys because we we know what it's like when your client is telling you one thing and then like mm-hmm. it you have to you do your you do your best to verify but at a certain point you have to like just you have to believe your client and then you also have to do what your client wants you to do. You can't do right. anything illegal but like if your client is telling you this and this and this and no this is all we have I mean, the bankruptcy attorney can't, like, go to their house and go through all of their stuff. No. (laughs) Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I thought some interesting lines from the um, malpractice complaint that I want to mention. She said, because of defendant Kreidel, who's the attorney, his failure as an attorney, plaintiff Teresa is now in federal penitentiary and is a felon. And it's like, well... Yes, for the bankruptcy, maybe, but she still had all the other stuff, like the loan fraud and the wire fraud and all that. It wasn't, she didn't only go to jail because of the bankruptcy fraud. So it's just like, she's blaming him for going to prison. And then she also said that his negligence severely damaged Teresa's career as a reality television star. (laughs) It's like, no, girl. (laughs) You're still good. <laughs> she's still, yeah, she's doing okay. I mean, one thing I want to point out in defense of this bankruptcy attorney is that they, I, <laughs> I do not believe that this bankruptcy attorney would have turned in fraudulent tax returns if they were actually, if he knew or had any idea that they were fraudulent. I mean, I, like, I do not think that he, I just don't, like, you wouldn't risk your own bar license, like, to no, you know, like it's not <laughs> right. So like they're ha- they're giving him information saying that this is the correct information and he's relying on it. And what do you like? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wonder like if he didn't maybe didn't like articulate to them like you have to give me accurate information or else like this is a disaster. But like, I don't know, like it's I, I find it difficult that to point a finger at the bankruptcy attorney when they still didn't get their probation reports right. <laughs> right. Right. And the bankruptcy is just one part of everything that went right. wrong. 
Like they were definitely like Joe, like Joe had already been found like liable in civil court for filing a fraudulent uh, discharge of a mortgage and stealing a notary's thing. Like it's so bad. Like the second that thing was like added to the bankruptcy thing, it's like, you better just back away from this and hope nothing else pay that guy and hope nothing else bad happens to you. I mean, like, mm-hmm. it's, I don't, I don't think the bankruptcy attorney is to blame for her being in jail. I, I will say that. No, I agree. Yeah. Did you come across the interview that she had with ABC News following her time behind bars? No. She said, um, she said she definitely had no idea she and husband Joe Giudice were committing any crimes. Despite her guilty plea, the mother of four expanded, there was no intent to commit a crime. I didn't know I was committing a crime. Like I said, I believe she had no idea. Like, I don't think she could name the elements of wire fraud or explain, like, you know, like, I don't think she knew, like, what crime she was committing. Um, I definitely don't think she understood the seriousness of it. And I do think she probably generally just trusted Joe to, like, handle things. I, I mm-hmm. doubt she could tell the elements of wire fraud now. And she did. And I'm not saying like, you know, I just I don't yeah. think she I don't think she if you asked her, like, what are what are the elements of wire fraud? What are the elements of the crime that you pled guilty to? I think she'd still say, I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So. Oh, and then Joe still can't stop getting in trouble. So we talked about Teresa surrendered herself to, in jail January 5th, 2015. And then in April, you found, Ceci found this charge. I didn't even know this when it happened, where Joe gets sentenced for the unrelated charge of using his brother's birth certificate to get a driver's license because he's still not an American citizen, which we're going to go into shortly. We got a lot of questions about like how they got to keep their house. A fascinating thing with this is, so Teresa and Joe were probably going to file for bankruptcy no matter what. The fact that they were on TV um, maybe led to more like scrutiny of them, but they they the the fact that they were on TV did not is not why they got charged with anything. They were just mm-hmm. causing problems for themselves. On they were going to go to jail anyway um, as soon as they filed that bankruptcy. But <laughs> what? really allowed Teresa and Joe to keep the house and to pay the restitution was the fact that Teresa was very popular on the Real Houses of New Jersey and everyone wanted to see this. They got a like three episode special um for her like getting out of jail. They got uh you know, she got bonuses for filming. She got a bonus for writing this book that I just read you the excerpts of. And that allowed her mm-hmm. to pay the restitution, and that also allowed them to get out of default on their mortgage on their house. So all of these advances for the reality TV and for the book put them in a position that they would not have been in to pay off this. Like, she fully paid – Teresa fully 100% paid off all of her restitution in federal court, all of it, for her and for Joe. It's gone. Like, she has done mm-hmm. her time. She paid all of it, and that's – she would not have had the money to do that if she had not been on TV and gone through this whole process. Right. So that's how they got to keep the house is because they got out of, they were able to pay the restitution and get out of the uh, default on the mortgage. And the federal court actually even like filed like documents with 
like in court, like naming Bravo TV to make sure that they got what was coming to them. The federal court got what was coming to it for the restitution. So that's been a fully paid off. And they were able to work all of that out because she was on TV. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's why they got to keep that. But no, Angela, her reality television career was ruined. (laughs) It's like, no, (laughs) it wasn't. (laughs) It was not. Um, Should we get to the deportation? Yes. Stuff. And this is actually pretty, pretty simple. Um, uh, Tessie, did you want to talk about that? Well, so you mentioned, I think, in our first episode how he has been, Joe has been living in the United States since he was one. His parents immigrated when he was one. But he's technically a lawful permanent resident that never applied for citizenship. So you can be deported if you are convicted of a crime of moral turpitude or an aggravated felony. And he was. (laughs) (laughs) He absolutely was. Another thing I want to mention, because I don't feel like Joe gets enough credit for this. So he, Joe fully served his prison sentence. But then because he was not a United States citizen and he never, it's like you did all this other paperwork, but you just never got your United States citizenship. He had to go into ICE detention. And I think everybody's seen Mm -hmm. on the news uh, over the past 10 years. And so like that's these, these facilities are not like they are worse than jail, like federal prison. Like they are not well-maintained. They Conditions are bad in there. And Joe stayed in prison a year longer to try to like get his appeal, which was essentially futile. But like he was doing that because he, I do believe he wanted to show his children and his wife that he was trying to stay. He he stayed in there. It's like, so imagine like serving your prison sentence and then being like able to go to Italy or going agreeing to go to ice and like that's what he did mm-hmm. and he stayed there for a lot like he was there like a, over a year yeah and, and those conditions are not good and that had to be just awful yeah so yeah i guess his family thought he would just return after prison but yeah you mentioned he was detained and then he appealed the decision and it, the first time it was denied his family immediately jumped on social media and launched a change.org petition to urge President Trump to stop the deportation. And it did not work. (laughs) And he appealed it to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, and they denied it as well, and said, you pled guilty to conspiracy to commit mail fraud and wire fraud, three counts of bankruptcy fraud, and willful failure to file a federal tax return after fraudulently obtaining two home equity lines of credit from Wells Fargo. (laughs) So you... So we're done with you. Go back to Italy. <laughs> right. And he tried arguing that he was not convicted convicted of an aggravated felony offense because there was no loss to a victim exceeding $10,000. However, as you noted before, he did have to pay restitution of $414,000. So there was a, a loss exceeding $10,000. So Yeah. And Teresa was paying he his... didn't have the best no, arguments. No, And it, like, he knew, I remember watching this on the show and like even hearing like the lawyers talk about it, like on the show, like he knew he did not have good arguments, but I remember that you have to try his children, like, especially, yeah. you know, were like, 
no, dad, we want you to stay. Like, we want you to do everything you can to stay. And he really did want to show them that he was making every effort to stay. Yeah. And Teresa was paying all of his legal bills for that. And, you know, fancy appellate attorneys are not cheap. <laughs> Mm-mm. So. No. So, yeah. So I, we had some we had some questions about, like, why didn't Teresa just divorce him? I I have to say, like, in her book, like, in also on her on the show, she just is effusive with praise for Joe and how much she loves him and how, like, she she's yeah. never said anything negative about him ever. And I just don't think that that's who Teresa was. Like, she has, I mean, there's a lot of things that we can agree that maybe Teresa isn't the best at, but she is loyal and steadfast to her family. And that's mm-hmm. just who she is. So people want to know, like, how do you get divorced when someone's in another country? And I have not been able to find their divorce pleadings, but I, it's pretty clear that Joe agreed to just a lot of things. I mean, he couldn't really make any arguments and he really didn't have any standing to ask for alimony or anything because he's been deported to another country. And it's like, you you can't, how are you going to like execute that? Like, how are you going <laughs> to, he doesn't have any mm-hmm. money to like hire attorneys to like enforce anything or even get a judgment. Um, so the way that would work is he would agree, have an attorney agree to uh, the jurisdiction for the divorce, agree to the pleadings, sign those things for him, and then have, you know, it's basically like a non-contested settlement or judgment that gets entered into the court. Yeah. That's how that works. And when people aren't, when people don't argue about things, divorces are pretty easy, even if you're in another country. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that, like, the de- deportation, the judge said that he could never come back. Like, yeah. in an interview, he said, um, I was hoping to come home to my girls. Today, according to U.S. immigration, I was told I will never step foot in America again. And it is kind of jarring because that's all he knows is yeah. the U.S. But Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like, the, like we talked about in episode one of this series, like, he's been they've been doing this for a long time like that's what that was what shocked me the most when i started researching this and i think you too like just Mm -hmm. like the egregiousness with how like y'all are just faking documents getting loans for stuff all the time like it like for a long time and this is just what we know about you know like we also had a couple listener questions like did somebody else report them and I don't think so. They got themselves into this trouble on their own. No, they didn't. They didn't need anyone to report on them. They filed for federal bankruptcy and then messed that up. So they right. pretty much told on themselves. Um, yeah. So that's that's, that's that. that. I think we we covered it all. Yeah. And now today, Joe's chilling in Italy. He seems to be living his best life. Yeah. Yeah. They were just like on the not that long ago. They were just in the Bahamas together with Teresa's new boyfriend. You know, I am confident, unfortunately, that this is not the end of our Teresa episodes <laughs> <laughs> because her and her new boyfriend bought property together. Uh, and that guy is something else. She better check those applications. She better like go double check all those documents. Like I, yeah, that, that guy is in, he's, 
he's something. So I am <laughs> confident that this is unfortunately not the end of our Teresa and Joe episodes. In the future, we do plan on uh, discussing the the Manzos and those types of uh, issues with their potential mafia links, according to the federal government, and um, you know some of the litigation that's gone on there. So hopefully, you guys liked all of this and enjoyed our Teresa and Joe episodes. Thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Bravo Docket is part of the ACAST Creator Network. <laughs>